Hi there, welcome to this webinar on building an enhanced PhD program. So I strongly believe that PhD programs need to change and there's lots of reasons for that. The first is that students aren't satisfied when they join their PhD. So um, they, they're satisfied kind of with their decision to pursue a PhD. And you can see that from what's on the screen currently that 38% are very satisfied and 37% are somewhat satisfied. But since they start their PhD, when they start their PhD, their level of satisfaction with their PhD actually gets worse over time. So nearly half, 45% of PhD students become increasingly dissatisfied with their PhD. And in a separate survey uh, done in the UK, 30% of students said they wouldn't do their PhD again. So these are big numbers. And I think these all point to things that the, the PhD needs to change. Uh, these kinds of figures, this one's from the UK, show that PhD students are not staying in academia long term. And there's lots of reasons for that. But we need to start, therefore, changing the way we train the students and preparing them for life outside academia. In Australia, the numbers are essentially the same. We've got somewhere in the order of 135,000 people with a PhD and only 120,000 jobs in academia. That doesn't take into account the 60,000 or so PhD students that are currently enrolled in Australian institutions and the 9,000 or so graduations that we have every year. So again, those numbers show that the PhD program is quite good at uh, attracting people into it, but the opportunity for jobs in academia is quite small. And that is borne out in a, in a report that was conducted uh, earlier this year called Advancing Australia's Knowledge Economy. And thus, if PhD graduates must work outside university, we need to start preparing them for that. Uh, and the first step in that is uh, to let them know that their jobs aren't available. And this uh, survey from Nature shows that over half of all PhD students have as their first preference a job in academia. And industry is a close second is is a distant second i should say 56 percent of students want to do pursue an academic career whereas only 28 percent of phd students have industry as their first preference so there's a massive amount of education that we need to do about why you do a phd in the first place and this data from nature is mirrored in what we see in australia where about 51 percent of students are looking to pursue a job uh, in the public sector and then when you're in a PhD, we have all sorts of things like overwork and overstressed. So you have a look, most PhD students are doing more than 40 hours a week. The majority are doing between 40 and 50, with 50 and 61 being the next closest. And it's not until you get to over 60 hours a week that you start to get parity in with those working less than 40 hours a week. Again, these are all things that I think are reasons why we need to change the way we train, uh, offer PhDs. Then we've got cultures of working long hours, cultures of limited support, culture of um, not maintaining or supporting improved mental health. Um, and in this nature survey, 36% of respondents said that they sought help for anxiety or depression caused by their PhD. So again, that says there's something wrong with the way that we train students. And in an aged matched and intelligence matched piece of research, 
PhD students have double the rate of mental health difficulties compared to their age and intelligence matched PhD uh, peers, uh, and we're sorry, non-PhD peers. So again, we need a new kind of PhD program. So I'm Richard Heisman's. So I've run these webinars every week. Uh, you can get them online as part of my website or off YouTube. I also run workshops. And one of the things that you might have noticed already is that I talk quickly. So feel free to pause and rewind or to uh, pop up and ask questions if you need to. In terms of getting in touch with me and asking me to do other pieces of work or to share this information, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Uh, as you've already heard, some of the content is mine, some of the content is other people's. So if you do share it, please make sure you attribute it, but otherwise feel free to share it as you see fit. Uh, I came into this space as a career coach, helping PhD students and early career researchers answer the question of what next. Often that involves helping people write new proposals, helping them get money. And, but in all cases, the intersection is this idea of relevance. What do people want to hear versus what is my client in this case interested in hearing and how can we bridge that gap? So in this case, the question or the relevance is what is a good PhD program? So in a survey that I conducted with some cooperative research centers here in Australia, uh, some of the answers included that people are, uh, are paid for their time as a PhD student. In many cases, it's not just paid for their time, but uh, also a bit of a top up. Um, and I think that's worth considering, particularly when we think of people wanting to come from a job into a PhD. The other thing is that supervision is shared. So that means it's not just split between academic, but also it's split between say an industry person and an academic person, not just two academics. The other thing that respondents said was, that, that they should there should be plenty of support. So we talk about support, not just for students, but also for supervisors. Uh, and I'll get into more about what that should be uh, later on, but it's basically support almost to do everything. I think we need to start thinking of PhDs as our first job. And in your first job, you're likely to get lots of professional development training or have opportunity to participate in that. And I think we should be doing that. In terms of the research activities, we need to provide the students with good access or the, the respondents to this survey said the students need good access to people, products and places. So obviously people is the experts that they can give them advice on the research that they need to do. The products are around the consumables, the equipment, the stuff necessary to do the work. And then the places are the places that they need to conduct the research, but also other groups or labs or people to visit nationally and internationally to grow their network. Um, the kinds of things that are people doing after their PhD or as well um, in the PhD itself is to do things like um, industry placement program. So support students in industry roles after their PhD. These happen, like I said, in the CRCs where they can afford to do some of this. Uh, they offered internships to do three months of industry specific work. And in some cases, the PhD student, uh, is encouraged to pause their PhD while they do that. Um, like I said already, shared supervision, but importantly, the good programs tended to have career development plans. So it's not just a project management plan for their PhD, but a career development plan. What is it that you're doing a PhD to achieve from a career perspective? How do you go about achieving that? And uh, what are the steps that you're taking you know, for the next six to 12 months to make progress towards those goals? 
again, in this survey, some of the things that they said uh, break a, a PhD program. The first is not having enough students. So if you go back to those mental health statistics that I showed earlier, uh, a lot of the data now supporting a PhD programs to improve mental health suggests that PhD students should be in larger cohorts. And that doesn't mean massive ones, but if we've got one or two students, there's not enough peer support there. Um, as can be expected, abandonment and neglect of students uh, was a killer of PhD programs and starting them too late. So one of the things that happens is we have the idea of having an enhanced PhD program, but then there's no support for the first 12 months. And so students and supervisors for that matter, flounder when they're supposed to be developing their skills as a researcher and as a future person joining the workforce. Uh, Organizations also talked a little bit about the cost of these types of programs. So including the student stipend, it's roughly the, the CRC survey suggests somewhere between 70 and $100,000 per student per year, uh, which is, I guess you might look at that and think that's a quite a large investment, but that essentially includes everything. That's student time, supervisor time, equipment access, industry access, travel, et cetera. Uh, and I'll go into some uh, numbers later on about what the return on investment was for that, for some of the um, CRCs that had done that analysis. In terms of the gray and the published literature in these enhanced PhD programs are sought after. So universities, Australia, um, wants best training for employment. So if employment is not academic employment, then we need to start revisiting what the PhD students look like. Um, research training guidelines suggest relevance to labour market requirements. Again, if people are not going into academic jobs, then we need to revisit what that looks like. Um, the National Research Investment Plan um, suggests people students should have generic skills and capabilities to be productive in a range of employment contexts, including business. So now we're getting a bit more specific or a bit more um, overt in our recognition that business is going to be an endpoint for PhD students. <clears throat> Uh, then we talk about the research workforce strategy says that we need to support the development of models focused on professional development and the needs of graduates. Again, because graduates are now going into non-academic careers, those needs will be non-academic skills as well. Um, and then assessing the benefits of university-based research um, as a principle of developing industry linked training and careers. So we basically want to make sure that everything that we do in a PhD program has um, relevance to the endpoint of the student getting a job. What kinds of student support uh, is suggested within the literature? Well, I think it goes pretty much without saying, but I'll say it just in case people feel that it should have been said is that's good academic pre preparation is essential. So obviously a PhD is about training to become a researcher, uh, not necessarily to become an academic, but certainly to become a researcher. And one of the main endpoints of researchers is academia. So having good academic pr preparation is still essential, but we need to improve our training for non-academic careers. Um, we need to be provide clear advice on where people can navigate to and from in terms of their PhD. And that should probably include things like careers days and hearing from people who are uh, outside the academic environment. In many cases, students feel the advice that they get is from people who are inside the environment and thus it lacks credibility, even though it might be good advice. 
And then uh, the, the literature also suggests that student support in terms of career development and professional development in particular also needs to be there as well. In terms of the work, that's currently going on in Australia around enhanced PhD programs is a range of examples and not all of them are perfect, but they're getting more towards a model of uh, better support for students and, and also for supervisors. So there's things that are looking to kind of consolidate skills around providing uh, research support in say project management um, and providing skill development around the theory of project management and how you apply it to research. Uh, there is also some research support uh, when it comes to supervision and having multiple supervisors, which increases the likelihood that you'll get supervision as and when you need it, um, as well as training to, for people to become better student supervisors. Uh, in terms of transition into industry, there's increasingly uh, use of industry to, to, buy, to define the PhD problem to be solved or to be worked through. Uh, and again, that provides a closer link to industry, which also improves the chances of job success into industry later on. Um, then there are some programs that kind of do an internship. So you submit your thesis and then you'll go and work in industry for three to six months while your thesis is being assessed. During that time, you'll get paid as an employee for that piece of work. And so that is a good way of transitioning someone into a, a new role, a new piece of work um, and giving them uh, good work skills while they're still waiting for their PhD to be accepted. Uh, some programs have specific um, defined criteria and outcomes. So that's the call. One of them is the balanced researcher program. Um, and they call that the eighth semester. So if a PhD is made up of um, seven semesters of work, then the eighth one would be this um, professional development program. And so this includes a professional development plan. So the idea that you write down your career goals, your current skills and the skills you'll need to develop and how you might achieve them. And then another one that I really like is um, working with industry to make the PhD program itself something that industry encourage their staff to do to deepen their knowledge. So this happens at some large industries in Australia, in the mining sector in particular, staff are encouraged to do a PhD as part of their professional development. So that means that the demographic of student is vastly different and their experiences are different and that can help um, bring that industry experience into the PhD program itself via a student rather than having to bring it in via a supervisor. In terms of the kinds of things that the um, other things that business wants, so they are looking for structures that are scalable, um, that can be expanded. So we don't, they don't want solutions that are only applicable in one setting or in one scenario. Um, industry talk about linking scholarships um, to the evidence of um, collaboration or communication with industry partners. So not just saying that they're industry connected, but having some kind of performance metric that demonstrates industry connection. And um, the industry is also interested in ways that in general business activity or business to university activity could be improved through the greater use of PhDs. Some of the things that could prevent an enhanced program from being offered. So the obvious ones are time and money, uh, but also resources or people to make things happen. Uh, industry often talks about red tape 
And red tape is probably um, not just the idea that um, process gets in the way of it happening, but also that each university has its own different way of dealing with essentially the same thing. And if as an industry partner, if you're working with multiple universities to have to address the same question in different ways can make things really difficult and can potentially discourage you working with multiple universities. So I think from that perspective, as universities, we could either work to have a similar structure that allows industry to engage with PhDs uh, in the same way, or we could just recognize that some uh, partners might choose to only work with one university because it makes their admin much easier. And then the final barrier um, often cited in these reports is the inter the relationships between individuals and organisations can get in the way of success. So um, it could mean that someone has a preference for a particular person or for a particular university or for a particular way of doing things. And as a result, uh, the programs don't get off the ground. Beyond Australia, what else, what does the, um, the literature saying. <clears throat> so again, the idea that PhDs are around developing research skills, um, that's front and center. But again, there's this acknowledgement that non-academic preparation is also essential. There are performance development plans or PDPs are in existence. There's regular formal assessment. I think in Australia, although we have assessment, it's becoming more formal, but it hasn't always been formal. Um, and this is a good one, training for student supervision. I think we, we take for granted that academics will be able to be good PhD student supervisors, but that's not always the case. And I think supporting them to be better supervisors is one way that we could massively improve PhD programs without um, having to provide a whole lot of professional development for students. Uh, internationally, supervisor agreements are quite common. Um, and as I said, there's career development for supervisors as well. So there's a lot more focus on being a good supervisor uh, internationally than there is in Australia. Um, in the EU, um, they have some specific guidelines around um, students, again, being able to leave the PhD, being able to do self-directed research, that they can do their own career development, which I think is really, really important. So I think it's one thing to um, tell a student to do a career development plan. It's another thing to support them to become somewhat independent in, in doing that process. That'll set them up for their career in general. Um, and they offer a lot more formal training courses to develop the research, non-research and transferable skills. So I think these are all examples that we can take. And I really like the idea of having not just career development plan, but training to help people manage and develop their own careers. In terms of the kinds of programs and what they lead to, so data suggests a few things. Firstly, that good academics are more likely to produce good academics. That is, if I'm supervised by a person who is entrenched in the university system, I'm more likely to become a good university worker. Um, and similarly, people, academics with good industry collaborations are more likely to produce other academics with good industry collaborations. So if you are overseeing a program and you have different types of supervisors with different types of connections, it's worth considering how you might pair students up with those supervisors or the advice you might give those supervisors when it comes to taking on students or the advice you might give to students when it comes to choosing a supervisor. 
And in terms of the endpoint or industry or um, particularly research industry, where do they recruit for or from? So large organizations tend to prefer high scientific performance. So for example, they're more likely to choose the quote unquote good academic as the person that they hire. The small to medium enterprise, they're interested in the person that can work well with industry. So again, they might be with the one, choose the one with the good industry collaborations. Startups tend to be more interested in people that can develop and run good experiments. Um, and in the consulting firms, they tend to be more interested in people who have got a demonstrated track record of applied research. So this all comes from a report called Flying the Nest, How the Home Department Shapes Researchers' Career Paths. And that was published a couple of years ago. So again, in terms of designing your program or building an enhanced program and the outcomes you're after, all these things are worth considering. In terms of how careers are built themselves, so there's some interesting information here. So obviously, um, and this again comes from a research piece published in um, 2014 called Navigating Careers. So the time in the workforce increases our career pathway knowledge and that stands to reason. Um, time in the workforce increases the options available to us. So the more experience we get, the more options we have. But conversely, age, reduces our ability slash or our willingness to take up new opportunities and new options. So in terms of training students, we have this problem perhaps where the longer we take, the better prepared they will be, but the less likely they will be to take up those opportunities. So we need to be mindful of how long we're taking in all of these things and the risks that students are willing to take after they graduate their PhD. So I mentioned earlier that I talk a bit about return on investment. So what's the return you might get on this investment? And, you know, in cash terms, I mentioned earlier, 70 to a hundred thousand dollars. So I guess, firstly, the student themselves will find it easier to access an industry job in particular. They'll generally be more employable from these enhanced programs. And there's data suggests that um, students who undertake professional development due, during their PhD are more likely to find a job. Uh, industry, they get, innovation into their workplace, they potentially have a problem solved. And um, the Cooperative Research Center data suggests an eight to one return on investment. So that means if you've invested in a four year PhD, $400,000, you're looking at something like $3.2 million return on that investment in that project or program. So it's a massive return that they have found um, that they're getting. And obviously, if you're looking for new staff, if you're looking for new innovation, this is a way to vet staff by taking them on as a student for a short amount of time. And as a university doing this, obviously you'll get improved progress and improved completion. So the um, happier students, happier partners all lead to improved progress and improved completion. And with funding for students now being linked to completion rather than linked to enrollment, this is really important. You can reduce completion times as well. So again, the Cooperative Research Center data suggests <coughs> Um, the cooperative research centers, no matter where they're from, have completion rates similar to the, the group of eight universities. In the survey that I did, it was slightly higher, up around 80% completion rate, uh, whereas the general population data uh, around PhD suggests a completion rate of around 70%. So if you can increase your completion rate, again, you can um, get more funding essentially for your students. 
So how do you go about building a, an enhanced PhD program? The first thing to do is consider the kind of student outcomes that you're interested in. So obviously everyone wants to produce good researchers. So what are the things that you might have to offer in addition to good supervision other than stu good stu the academic outcomes? Uh, you might also be interested in um, helping them find particular industries or particular experiences. Then without a doubt, your university would have current offerings that would help build those outcomes. Uh, and then you might have your own idea on the kind of offerings that you potentially want that are, uh, are there. Um, and then between those two lists, I'd create a priority list. So what are the things that are must haves versus good to have? Um, and then how can you bridge the gap between what you uh, would like to offer versus what's available to you? and then start building it. Now, the important thing here is that you build it before you start the program. So I see in many cases, the idea that we'll have an enhanced PhD program, the idea is generated in November, and then we hope to enroll students in January. And that's all well and good, as long as you can offer something to the first enrolled students in January. Uh, the idea of build it on demand is fantastic, but as long as you can build it on demand, uh, that works well. But if the first, um, part of the program isn't available until the middle of the year, the students are floundering for six months and you've essentially wasted your time and theirs by starting them in January. Some of the things that I think are often overlooked, the first is evaluation. So in doing research for this presentation, it's really clear that there's not a lot of peer reviewed evaluative studies out there and even non peer reviewed gray literature studies are quite lacking in this space. It's really clear as well that supervisor support is considered secondary. So supervisors aren't given training and support to be a better supervisor. And I think um, I've got something later on that I'll talk to quickly that might help with that. And then as mentioned earlier, the massive mental health problems that are faced by PhD students, I don't think that's well handled either. And I don't think there are enough programs that address that. And again, I'll talk uh, quickly later about a program that I have that I think might help some of that. So if you'd like to build a enhanced PhD program, I'd love to help you out in doing that and offer some of my advice. Um, so feel free to get in touch via uh, email or LinkedIn or any of the other social media channels. So in terms of supervisor support uh, in 2020, I've got a coaching program for early career researchers and I think they're often PhD supervisors as well. Uh, and so if you'd like to know more about that, please uh, send me an email or put a comment and I'll happily get in touch and send you some more information about that. That starts in January 2020. Uh, and in terms of the mental health support for PhD students, I have a, another group training program or group co coaching program aimed at PhD students and helping them navigate the trials and tribulations of their PhD. So again, if you want to know more about that, uh, get in touch, leave a comment and I'll um, send you out some information. In terms of what's coming next, uh, next week, we'll look at uh, using technology to complete your PhD faster. Uh, then we'll have a bit more look at some strategic planning techniques that might be useful for building new centres, new institutes, or perhaps even an enhanced PhD program. And if this was something you like, please go and watch a couple of the other programs that I've got here. So there's some stuff around LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, social media in general for researchers. That might be something useful to put in your enhanced program. And they've also did a webinar about building research in, as a researcher. So uh, please feel free to go and check those out and let me know what you think. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch, send me an email, get in touch on social media. I'd love to chat with you.